Hey everyone, this is Crypto Gordon Freeman. Thank you so much for joining today. You are listening to the Club 21M podcast with Crypto Gordon Freeman. And a shout out to my partners with Archangel Alts, Kakashi, and the guys at the Crypto Show. I'm excited to say that we're getting this thing off the ground. Now we're on episode two. So this is the second episode of the Club 21M podcast. I'm your host, Crypto Gordon Freeman. So the topic of this show is be inspired. And hopefully over time we'll find that I actually return to this topic often because I think that it's important and I think that it's something that we all need to be reminded of from time to time uh, to get inspired and to be inspired and to take the time to focus on the things that inspire us. For the sake of the title of this episode, one could also say that it, it is about the three Bs. And in this case, those three Bs are Bitcoin, blockchain, be inspired, the B and be inspired. It just kind of, you know, two out of three were heading in that direction. So that's just what I decided to do. And to, I said, I'm going to go for it. But the convergence that inspired me to do this message, I'm really speaking to myself, but I'm hoping to inspire um, the same thing in some other listeners over time. Um, hopefully over time, enough people see the uniqueness or value in something that you're trying to express to them. And that's what I think of as where we are in this industry. Um, we talk about Bitcoin often to represent cryptocurrency as an entire system, an entire market, an entire industry, certainly a new asset class. But sometimes we don't think about what those things actually are. So often I'm going to draw from life experience. And for me, a lot of that is in the music industry. And oftentimes life throws us, throws us curveballs. And when we're in a fight or flight scenario, or we're dealing with emergencies, difficult situations, we'll go into a self-preservation or a just managing to manage type of mentality. We might reduce our flow of emotion in and out of how we handle things. Enough of us have probably lived long enough to go through some stuff. And one of the dangers of that is that you forget to release the mechanism that allows the flow of energy and inspiration to continue back the way that it was designed to work. You know, we're, I absolutely believe we're wired to be inspired. Working on a lot of stuff, starting to get the YouTube thing set up. Um, a lot of things that cross over from Bitcoin into music industry related stuff. Um, I get a lot of recommendations for things and Rick Beto has this fantastic channel. I'm not going to point you to a specific video because if I'm talking about inspiration, I want this to register in your mind what inspires you. I don't want to dictate that to you because I want this to actually really actually, I want this to be a genuine uh, spark to inspire you. So anyway, I was unable to resist the clickbait and uh, responding to this uh, video that he had done talking about a great solo that somebody had done and just breaking it down. It Sometimes people see greatness in things and it's arbitrary or uh, certainly uh, subjective. You know, the arts especially are very subjective. Uh, but when we look at, you know, how would you define greatness? In this case, uh, somebody that possesses in music 
uh, a great technical skill, uh, somebody that has a deep knowledge of the underlying mathematical and musical theory uh, that goes into playing, performing something well, but then also understanding the genre in which they're working. Uh, you know, there's context to something that makes something great. You know, somebody came in and tried to do a double tapping uh, Eddie Van Halen solo in the midst of, you know, a very sad sounding fugue, then it might be intellectually inappropriate. They may not be in the right category, but they might be technically brilliant, you know, so maybe that wouldn't be inspiration. So, you know, context matters and just the, the pure inspired, what do you do with that skill? Uh, and in this case, it just, you know, there aren't a lot of things that will give me a jaw dropping moment. Um, I might get stunned or even stung by somebody's just amazing skill until I start thinking, okay, you know, let me break down what it is that they're doing there. Oh, that's really, really cool. And then I can move on. Um, this had me spellbound for 17 minutes and it was 10 times more enjoyable because this is a video about somebody else enjoying that. So you're enjoying that they're enjoying it, you know, and you know, similar things could have that effect. Uh, I love watching, you know, things like cooking competitions sometimes, but you know, not for the bland passive entertainment value of it for the watching somebody that has a skill uh, get these great ideas for something that they think is really going to wow the judge and the judge has experienced it all there one two michelin star judges that you know they know a thing or two about greatness and they're not going to get tricked by a couple of clever spices or <laughs> whatever makes sense there so at the same time i'm doing a lot of studying because the way that i stay grounded in the work that I'm doing is to immerse myself in the information that sparks these thoughts of creativity. And so I zigged and zagged into somebody that does a lot of coursework on Bitcoin, teaching people blockchain. There's, you know, so many great free resources out there. And that's one of the challenges for somebody that really wants to be a part of this industry, um, figuring out, you know, what kind of things properly belong behind a paywall, what, should you give away for free to everybody? And what should you consider a valuable, unique intellectual property? Uh, certainly spend a lot of time thinking about that in the music industry. But uh, you would think of you know finance and economics, just money-related stuff, being very separate from something that would inspire you in music. But in this case, when you're using maybe the transfer of the creative and the more fundamental uh, parts of your thinking process, and you just kind of allow those to to commingle, some interesting things happen. So somebody giving a very basic teaching on blockchain and trying to explain to people who maybe hear public key and private key and deposit and withdraw, but don't necessarily get it because it is technology. It's, you know, not like you're physically going to a bank, filling out a deposit slip with your name, with your account number, the date, the amount, and handing it to a person that then hand enters that into their system, verifies that that's what you're doing, and then you're done. Um, people understand physical, tangible things, even if what was hand entered there 
works pretty much exactly the same way that keeping the ledger on a Bitcoin blockchain, for instance, would handle that same thing. But if a number, a very complex number, is being passed through a QR code, that person may not know how a QR code works. So there's a bit of mystery there. But you're also you're dealing with you're walking around with a smart camera and people, I think, sometimes have stopped thinking about what it is. What did it take to get us there? And for the people that are absolutely at beginner level, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with anybody being at any level that they're on. My wish would always be that wherever you are, that you advance from there. You know, if you go from beginner level one to beginner level 1.00001 and that makes you happy, then that's cool. You know, no snobbery taking place in Crypto Gordon Freeman's world with this. But, you know, some people will not make the connection of anything fancy is going on there with the QR code as long as it works at all, because they just simply don't understand that there's leaps in technology that are necessary to allow something like this to happen. Um, the very concept that machine learning means that you can program machines to learn uh, that is fascinating to me and you can also say that sometimes there's a veneer of learning when really what's happening is machines are giving you the appearance that they're getting smart but they're really just getting better at being dumb really fast <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the the rule used to be that, you know, computers are incredibly dumb. They can't do anything that you don't tell them to do. And I have a feeling that we're only a few years off to where we would wish that that were the case, uh, because I think that the human brain is only capable of so many things that it does that are so intricate and fascinating because it does it so many millions and millions of times that whether it's the redundance or the verification of synaptic movement, whichever lane you want to be in with, with the way that you look at the comparisons of intelligence, there are inventions piled upon inventions that go in to make things that are the tangible work in the intangible. And so the larger lesson here for this episode is don't get so confident or familiar with the things that we're talking about in Bitcoin and blockchain technology that you forget to be inspired by the underlying breakthroughs that exist from it. And, you know, so I take that back to, you know, this a video uh, basically breaking down what's so amazing about this performance from a, a musician. And for you, you know, think about your favorite you know, TV chef or your favorite album of all time or art that you love looking at. Um, if you're already in the super mega tech side of things, then, you know, the, the latest NFTs that you've bought or whatever it is and think about what it is that goes into doing that from the platform where the person is buying or selling, what kind of blockchain is involved in carrying those things out is there an intermediary? And if so, then isn't it kind of amazing that people are figuring out, I guess what we would call a layer three business on a layer one and or two blockchain technology. And the fact that traffic can flow through something that's familiar, like transacting online with strangers on the internet, but 
beneath that, you could have uh, whether it's the Ethereum chain or whether it's the Binance chain or the Tron chain. Um, <laughs> got nothing against Tron other than the person that runs it. But, you know, however we're interacting, um, the, these things are remarkable and we are getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 years in on this technology. Imagine if we were talking, you know, the difference between the late eighties to the late 89, the, the late eighties to the late nineties in internet technology. That's nowhere compared to what happened from let's say 2004 to 2017 ish. Uh, the world grew up and the world blew up in a lot of good ways and bad ways. So be inspired, but let's look at the inspiration points that I think I would like to focus on. Okay. You know, we could, we could dwell in this case on the basics with Bitcoin. We could think of, uh, things like the white paper and the mystery behind Satoshi understanding the eight units behind that decimal. <laughs> um, you know, the Satoshi has a unit uh, 100 million of them uh, to make up a Bitcoin. Lots of different elements of this. The fact that one-way encryption, or you know, let's just get out of the debate over encryption and just say the use of cryptography to make it to where you're able to protect your valuable private information that unlocks the door to whatever you're storing in your private wallets, unless the governments get to win banning the privacy part of that. But I would love to focus just on the transactional side of things. Don't allow your knowledge of the technical to limit your seeking after the passion that got you here. You know, unless you are just an opportunist <laughs> and you basically you're in uh, Bitcoin for one level of it, you know, just to get rich and you basically you have no soul in the process at all. Um, if that didn't get you here, then um, there's probably other episodes that are going to benefit you more just dealing with the money or dealing with the investing or trading or something like that. But so the transactional side of Bitcoin and blockchain and the other B, be inspired deposits and withdrawals and the fact that the address is everything, but it's the first step in unlocking a process. And I think that it is a very difficult concept for the beginner to grasp, even though buying and selling in Bitcoin can be just as simple as Apple pay, Google pay. Is it pay or play or whatever? Obviously I don't even use these, but you know, you use the chip from your card or just hold up the card and it automatically scans it. You know, these things that we transact with very quickly now, go back 20 years and it would not be uncommon that the smaller the town that you're in, the more likely you're to see one of these, you know, carbon copy backed manual card transactors that, ching, ching, you know, over the card and leave an imprint of the card for a receipt. You know, these things existed and it wasn't a long time ago. And in fact, a lot of the, the structural internet like, service that is uh, transmitting all this stuff goes back much longer than you would be comfortable to know. I don't, I think to this day, they still haven't upgraded a lot of that. Uh, but 
you know, the point being that most of us don't have to give a lot of thought to, you know, holding out your card and paying for something. And if you want a receipt, getting a receipt or that receipt goes to your email and there's nothing magical or impressive about it because it's just an easy underlying level of something that makes your day a little bit easier than if you had to go through a more complex process. So let's say that you operate your bank on your smartphone and that includes uh, wanting to pay for some things or a lot of things in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And you're used to figuring out the purchase and uh, holding up QR code uh, to transfer the payment and it's done. And you don't have to think about the settling process. You don't have to think about where did it actually come from and where did it actually go. And one of the things that kind of meshed with that, be inspired, you know, going from the music to the money, you know, because I'm just what's actually going on is Gordon has a lot of work to do when he trades. He keeps a score. So I do a lot of accounting because it's pretty rare that the market is so bad that I'm not able to get some daily trades in. I take a lot of risks, but I take risks that I understand. So, you know, what gets me through the accounting is trying to keep my mind on things that matter to me. And just ones and zeros don't necessarily always matter a lot to me. So I want to hear what is inspiring other people. So sometimes I talk a lot about somebody like Michael Saylor because I can see and hear uh, that this is a very smart man who was inspired. And I think that Bitcoin is still actually kind of new to him. Not that he hasn't been aware of it for a long time, but the journey of discovering just how genius what's happening here is still new to them. And that's a very cool thing. But in this case, thinking about the journey that a Bitcoin takes in order to be present because the mining has already taken place for the one that exists. Then the underlying units of value that technically we count the number of Bitcoins, but the blockchain itself thinks entirely in the units that make it up. You know, the math is actually thinking how many, you know, tens of millions of Satoshis was that <laughs> that we just transacted. And we're thinking how many fractions of a Bitcoin did we do? Um, but the underlying math is already taken care of. It's already done. So that got me to thinking that, you know, some of the actual underlying benefits of blockchain are the things that we don't even think about. Um, there's not going to be the teller made an error and missed one of the ones. You know, they rarely do you get a one extra zero bump from from the teller. If they make a mistake, usually your hundred dollars was 10. Uh, but I mean, even then it doesn't happen often. But when you're going from what you wrote down to what they wrote down to what actually went in the bank or what they actually counted, there is the potential for error. And the computer doesn't know that what was typed and what was printed out for a receipt is right or wrong. And if you didn't catch it and they didn't catch it, then those confirmations didn't work properly, but it got posted to that blockchain, so to speak. What came from you to your account in manual mode has two points of failure, uh, you and the person you're transacting with. In this case, sure, it's the bank, but the bank is the dumb technology. It doesn't know what's being entered into it. So it hasn't become 
smart enough to watch and scan and say, hey, hey, you know, you messed that up there. Do it again. So there there is absolutely a point of failure. And I would imagine that if we looked at the millions of transactions that happen every day through the banking system, we would probably be alarmed at how often human interaction, distractions, other things are causing failures that just shouldn't exist. But those transactional units of measure are never likely to be an error that something like the Bitcoin blockchain is going to make. The next thing being that even though we could say for somebody that has a problem with the abstracts of digital currency, uh, we could say that just think of it in terms of the coins never actually leave there. We're just being given the permission to uh, take access of certain amounts. But if you think about how this is gone, we all are kind of trained to think of this in terms of personal custody of something in our own wallet. So, you know, Bitcoin doesn't know a wallet. It knows a location and it doesn't really even know a location. Even that is a construct for us to think upon. What it knows is the right formula to those encryptions. Sorry, it really it is an encryption. Um, the fact that it's one way is a whole other fun thing. But if you know, you know, pst, what's the password? You know, if you know the answer to that, then you have access to that part of things. And if you want what you already have access to, to go to somebody else or a portion of it, then you can then post that once again to the blockchain and it'll pass through the network. So what I love, and you know, this is the part that I think is an inspiring idea or concept is that even though it's in some ways an intangible, you know, you can't go to where the blockchain is. You know, we can view it on an explorer and we can see the activity that's taking place, but there is no physical location. And that is a deep meaning of decentralization to me. So there we go again, you know, the mysterious transactional nature of this technology. I think that we should all, you know, even the deeper that you are in, in the industry, uh, the better it is for us to, you know, stop and smell the roses, so to speak, um, to really think about the determinant moves that have happened over the past decade. That means that something can transact and we're making it hardware. We're making it tangible. We're making it a physical process, whether it's the smartphone or actually entering the digits of a public address or whether it is people getting together for the conference and just discussing blockchain technology. And I don't really like to separate the blockchain, blockchain technology from Bitcoin in other ways I do, but just the underlying nature of that, I love thinking about what is the light bulb moment going to be for somebody that is not technologically inclined, but lives in a technology world. And if the money doesn't feel real to them and the blockchain isn't a real place to them, they can't go to the blockchain bank and see, you know, here's where the data is being entered into the code. You could visit one person with one node. You could visit a mining location. You could visit one of these loud fan splattering uh, rooms where all the processing is taking place. But we don't even spend that much time thinking about the physical yet intangibles of the computers we're using. But 
without one layer of technology built upon another, added to another, sitting in the same box with a hundred others, without all those things that precede blockchain, the network of it never could exist and never could work. And, you know, it's one thing to think about uh, double spins and, you know, people's intentional malicious manipulation of the blockchain technology and 51% of tax, 51% and worse as the case may be for BSB, feel really bad about those guys, honestly. And I actually do. I believe that even coin projects that I don't like, I think belong in this industry. I don't think that it should be up to me to decide whether somebody should invest or find the value in BSB. And, you know, even in the situation of Craig Wright, regardless of where the beginning of his Bitcoin journey actually did begin, you know, dude's a human being and he's a much smarter one than I am. Even if I take issue with some things, um, I am graced by the ability to ponder what those things are. So somebody get me back on course. So yeah, the point being, as you know, a lot more about blockchain technology and you're aware of the things that were resolved that at least to the extent that Bitcoin has resolved them has been over a decade that we were looking at double spend and the person's ability to attack the network to do something malicious, or at least to make a hacker's point um, about doing 51% or more attack. Didn't mean to go off on a BSV tangent, but it has been that week for it. So kind of got to give credit to that. But um, the idea being to not forget to look at the network and to get a little bit imaginative about the underlying science. And here's where music and blockchain merge in Gordon's brain all over again. So what it is to say is that we think of music as being a creative talent and math being a technical interest. People can have talent in both of those areas, but music is an unimaginably technical mathematical skill. And we might approach it through a creative process. Um, different parts of the brain seem to work better with certain types of functions. And that may, that may be only one part of what we actually understand about how our brains work. We tend to think of inspiration being more of a creative thing. I personally think that some of the greatest moments in science came from imagination, just imaginative thought, just pondering the universe without knowing the numbers that would end up being in the equations that could be proven at a later time. One of the greatest examples that I can think of that is in transistor technology and the fact that without theoretical physics, we would not have the transistor. And without the transistor, honestly, we would not have semiconductors. And without semiconductors, we would all still be using computers that were the same size as the Pentagon. So, you know, these all from the imagination of people testing out theories that to this day, we still don't really understand why the math does what the theory says it does and why that works. But something about the laws of nature and there being an inherent design and intelligence behind that suggests that things work a certain way. And they, we are both limited by those things and inspired to figure out how to work within their confinements. Because when there's a beauty to logic, you don't necessarily want to defy that logic. You want to use it to your advantage. Wow, that was a lot to unpack there. So let's go back to the idea of the network. We have a computer with, you know, 300 different patented brilliant inspirations operating on a 
tiny, tiny level doing billions of operations. And they're all able to agree on a certain set of rules from running the same software as one another. And the way that that software has been programmed is to provide the right synchronization to where when transactions come from somewhere in the outside world and interact with the blockchain, that that network scurries to evaluate the transactions and the value of that transaction and decide where it fits in their whole schema of things. So, you know, we'll talk about the way that this part of the network works. You know, we talk about it with Ethereum uh, a lot when the gas fees go up. And we realize at that point that there are different levels of barriers to this, that people have a threshold of interest that they take part. You know, is it worth my time, my computer, and my electricity to work on transactions that are only going to earn me a couple of pennies worth of Ethereum? And a lot of them will reject those in the times where there is the highest level of interest, and they might be humbled enough <laughs> in the the downtimes, you know, low traffic zone, uh, they might be willing to take some of those. Um, it's possible that the network is going to allow some things to time out, and it's possible that it's going to snag some of those guys. But the point being that the network is clever enough to be able to make judgment calls. Is this worth transacting? Okay, well, then I guess I'll be one of those confirmations. So with Bitcoin, you know, the fact that we're at a, what is it, 6.25 BTC block reward, not everybody, in fact, most are never going to get those at this point. And when it goes to three, there's a good chance we're talking about it being worth 100,000 or more, probably two or 300,000 when it gets to the next having happening. Now we're talking about not just the transacting of intangibles, but the intangible values of transacting intangibles. And maybe there is something beyond the experiment that we're looking at right now that is even more complex than the fact that there's hardware, electricity, uh, building infrastructure, making agreements with local governments, following regulatory principles in order to do something that eventually transfer becomes the transmission of atoms into numbers through electricity to verify that information moved somebody's value from somewhere to somewhere else. And all of those things are happening on a network. So now here comes, let's take something that was kind of sparked by, let's say, creative inspiration, reacting to somebody's wonderful musical performance. You know, the notes are pleasant to listen to, the interaction of, you know, the, the crescendos, the pauses, the speeding up, the slowing down of tempo. Um, but... You know, you can attribute every single bit of that to math, but then we look at blockchain and you could be very number centric and code centric. And I know what the rules are. Let me teach you about this thing centric, but you can allow yourself to think of the science that is beneath it, not just the math. And to me, it's very inspiring to think about how atomic principles relate to Bitcoin and blockchain. Now, if you think about the atom, you know, if we're right about it, you know, I, I don't know what things might still yet to be 
discovered because, you know, our knowledge about atoms were limited by how well we could focus in on one for a long time. But the fact that I think that the fact that we're making qubits now, we have quantum computers, speaks to the fact that a lot of that atomic theory is correct. The fact that we've split them and blown things up speaks to the fact that we understand something about them, whether it's necessarily a great thing or not. Most of an atom is space. And the thing that fills up the space is not a solid object sitting somewhere, but the constant movement of energy around that. And so within one atom, we have spaces being taken up by something moving so fast that it seems to be taking up that space. And then you combine these atoms to start building microparticle structures. And all of those things are tangible solids, but they're not really. They're mostly space being taken up by extremely fast motion, which generates energy. And all of these things are little hints at how we should approach our real world energy consumption problems. I think that we have an excess of solutions to last the next 10,000 years, but it's our own intellect that has to catch up to that. So, you know, all these worrying atoms that if they slowed down enough, you could pass right through them um, in theory. <laughs> but, you know, they are the building blocks of everything tangible. Um, you know, looking at particle theory and particle reality, all this kind of stuff. Uh, gosh, the experience, experiments that they're doing at CERN, whether they necessarily should be doing um, what they're doing. But, um, you know, testing theories that we think of ourselves as being such an advanced civilization, but we still haven't fully gotten the opportunity to test a lot of these boundaries. And I think that the blockchain network, blockchain network is a lot like that, that we know enough about the dangers of individualism used the wrong way, that we believe the right solution to that is decentralization. But I think that neutral use of networks is very different than the democratization of those networks because democracy is known to have flaws that are the reasons behind at least in principle things like republics where you don't necessarily want one doge to equal one doge if it's talking about a person and their vote um, because if you are the you know, a good force, you know, or a force for political good, then you want to earn each of those individual votes on merit. But if you want to manipulate a democracy, it's much easier to do than representative government to go through and try to persuade the masses or even enter in their numbers for them. Let's say, uh, you know, fraud is easier. Um, than it is when there's a system that is supposed to give those checks and balances and have representative groups. Um, and, you know, this is not, you know, pro versus anti electoral college. This is not that kind of thing. It's just to say that the network itself may be better as a decentralization mechanism than it is as a democratizing of something. Nobody wants blockchain tyranny unless you're a government and a bank and you're saying, we don't really believe in Bitcoin, but we believe in blockchain technology. Um, it's funny because there's merit to that, but not for the reasons that many of them would give. 
ulterior motives change science. But think of, let your imagination, let your inspiration take you to a place of thinking about the network and atoms and the movement therein. That transacting on Bitcoin could really only be a solid, tangible, almost imagining it being a physical, real, in-person process if it was a dictatorship or at best two people transacting, you know, the one that's got the Bitcoin and one that's sending it. And even then, you know, the, the ownership of the blockchain is a two points of solution transacting uh, because then, you know, you know who the network is and you know where that power is going. You know, the services that they're connected to, you know, the machines that the energy is changing atoms into bits you know you know where physical movement took place even if you couldn't see it you know what the network is that got it from here to there that mystery is unsolvable by anybody forensically or otherwise once you have a network of a few hundred computers let alone a few thousand maybe tens of thousands at this point and that's not true just for the money making mining setups you know that's true for the people that are running their own nodes to be a part of the network you know they're adding to the security of the network by diversifying it by not having it centralized so think about that for a second you know the the fact that the network works as a singular operating unit and it's not like the customer and the cloud platform relationship that we have with platforms that whether we like it or not, we are paying, whether it's in our data or in our actual finances, to be beholden to a service when we're doing cloud computing. And as long as we're getting the value that we expect to get from it, that's okay. Um, I would suggest that it reaches the point of not being okay if we don't ever game theory that into uh, somehow being the platform in another direction in some facet of, or another. Um, that's a whole other discussion that's not necessarily about uh, the inspiration of that's more uh, about the utilitarian understanding of things. That's maybe getting more into the understanding of the utility behind things. So I'm going to force myself not to digress. But yet yeah, let's look at the network. It is acting as a unified body of work transacting. That's what it's doing. It's confirming and transacting and placing the end math in the correct place. But it's passing that around a group of computers that you can gather a lot of data about them if that's what you're trying to do. But for the most part, the mindset of the computers that are working as miners in the network, they're looking at it as a competitive capital-driven market. Now, competition is okay because Bitcoin has been programmed to know what to do with that. If certain groups are winning, certain groups are lo losing, um, there's the belief that the network will become more decentralized the more that it challenges itself to have winners and losers. And if Bitcoin were small and unimportant and very few people knew it or used it 
then it would always be under the danger of somebody overvaluing it in order to game the network. But because we are where we are with thousands of computers doing this thing and electricity is a earth centric problem. We have lots of governments with lots of different mechanisms, lots of different ways that they value their natural resources, the way that they use anything from wind to sun to coal to water to fire. All of these things put real world limitations on theoretical unlimited things. And then the mathematical limits are programmed in on top of that. And then the top is spun in a frictionless environment to see how long it will continue spinning. And that to me is so fascinating that I often do not allow myself to realize that that's kind of how I'm thinking about this thing that draws me in that takes so much of my interest. You know, sometimes we dabble in the distractions because it's easier to do so. You find yourself demonetizing your own value in what brought you here. Um, what I mean by that is to say that we actually think that all the arguments are about maximalism. We actually think that all the arguments about are about whether KYC is good or bad. A lot of times we find ourselves in the social engagement that is about things that, you know, we all already know that stuff. And maybe we need to spend some time to introduce other people to it as they come and go. But isn't this about a lot more than whether there's a dumbed down government level uh, to things that we already get it. We already understand what it is that's happening here and that we should spend more time talking about how incredible this is. I always want to, as long as I am alive and my health is decent, I always want to try to think in terms of this is the time that I'm living in. From my perspective, I think of it as this is the time I've been chosen for. A lot of people don't think that way. But I do think that we should all remember from time to time that we live in this time in history and there are incredibly dark and disturbing aspects of that. And there are things that we need to remember just how amazing all of this is. You know, we're going to, you know, if, if you're young enough and healthy enough that you're likely to be around for the next 20 years, let's say, or next 30 or 40 years, let's say, at least 20, um, we're going to be seeing you know, the self-driving flying cars, two big moves, you know, all this time from the seventies forward, we've been waiting for our jetpacks and our moving sidewalks and our Jetsons like bubble in the sky lifestyles. And we haven't been getting it. <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, you know, a 1950s understanding of that kind of stuff means that we could totally have those things that we wanted to. But it looks like we're getting into the, you know, Uber is going to be largely an automated network of new flying pathways. And I think that part of the space race going on right now, the Bezos, Bezos, Branson, Musk space race, I think we're going to find 10 years from now that a lot of it actually has to do more with what's happening just above the ground. But I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. But I think that there's probably 
a market for serving a billion people in transportation that is more important than serving a few people with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, a few million dollars um, to uh, hit the edge of space. So we'll see. I think that it is more of a uh, social societal steering in a direction going on there, but I could be wrong. But, you know, I should be coming to a conclusion of this message. And that message is to allow yourself to be inspired in the space. Let there be a reason for the reason that you stay here, since there's already been a reason for what got you here. For me right now, that is about the difference between the intangibles and the more you understand them, the more you realize just how impossible they are to understand from an atomic level to what does it take to program a network to the fact that the network is there and it's working. And it's a network that has been banned and handed its hat and told to go. And it is doing the right math to keep it going while it reorganizes itself and lands in new countries and new regions with new owners who come online, uh, load up the origin to present. And this is literally, you know, faster than speed of light atoms churning out digital code that passes from stranger to stranger across an entire planet so quickly that I believe on Bitcoin on the corollary one level, we have seven of these transactions being finished by the network every second. And compared to Visa MasterCard, that's nothing. But who cares? Because they're not doing what we're trying to do. You know, they're using stuff that, frankly, they talk about Wall Street being the same way, that it's, you know, being held together by tape. And some people would be terrified to see just how fragile the infrastructure for some things are. But the network is a coordinated, well-oiled machine. It's a body that's working well with itself. And it's doing so in almost a competitive anonymity. Let's use that kind of terminology. Competitive anonymity. Have I added something? This this could actually be one of those cool things. Let's say that inspiration leads to something new. Sometimes, you know, what a cool thing if you can kind of help inject something into the consciousness of other people and it just becomes a thing. But yeah, thinking about things like immutable, trustless, the open ledger, all these these things that are what we're supposed to know in this field. But what about coordinated competitive anonymity competitive anonymity i think that that's interesting i think that that's a value to something that is running on a structure that at an atomic level frankly we still do not have advanced science enough to fully understand it we've provided numbers to it we've proved that the theory works for a lot of this stuff even though we don't know why and that's just wow it is it's wow so I leave you to this, to take a moment and think about food or art or music or something that to you is good when you ingest it, that is an inspiration of some form or another, whether it is your belief in something good, you know, belief in God, tradition, um, religion, spirituality, what is your belief? What do you believe in? What matters to you at a fundamental level? You know, for me, faith is a big one of those. 
But in this case, it was being inspired by music and a technician and artist. And even more so the fact that a really cool guy uh, takes the time to appreciate those kind of things. And as I was doing my own studying in this field with blockchain, the two merged and led to inspiration for me. And so I wanted to pass that on to whoever you are. And so I tell you, take from that, take the time to smell the roses, close your eyes and be at peace and think about your creator. Um, do the things that matter to you more than the stuff that you've got to get done and take that and transact with it. Go to the network, whoever the people are around you, whoever matters in your field and take a moment to say, Hey, I heard this thing, or I thought about this thing. I did this thing of value. And now I want to take like a millisecond and transact that with you. And now we're both going to be a little bit more rejuvenated in the work that we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish because we're sharing a little bit of that spark that ignited our interest in being in this field to begin with. So that is the note. That is the final note. And on that note, nope, got to do something first. Please subscribe, like, ring the bell, share with others. And on that final note, thank you so much for listening. And for now, Crypto Gordon Freeman 